Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. A common statement from people who claim abduction that there were German-speaking people or implied Nazis, and it just doesn't fit in with the alien presence, but uh, that comes up over and over and over again that we have two very distinct types of people occupying craft like that, the typical alien-type person and then someone who looks just like us and speaks German but is just remarkably advanced uh, technologically. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain access to premium episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Many of you are no doubt familiar with the the legend of the Nazi bell, which was uh, purported to be a top-secret Nazi scientific uh, technological device, secret weapon, or Wunderwaffe. Author uh, Joseph Farrell, who is a, a great friend of this program, has written about it extensively, the Nazi bell, and it's associated with Nazi occultism and anti-gravity and free energy. Now, here with the latest on this fascinating secret chapter in history is George Freund. He's a great friend of the program. He is a fiercely independent investigator, researcher, an award-winning blogger and a broadcaster who uh, sits in from time to time on uh, the Power Hour, Power Hour Radio. And uh, his website where you can read his blog is conspiracy-cafe.com. George Freund. Welcome back. How are you, my friend? Well, not too bad at all. I received this, it's not entirely cryptic, but it, it certainly you know, grabbed my attention, this email from you that you just recently uncovered information regarding Nazi secret technology and uh, secret weapons and so forth that they were developing even before the Second World War. Tell us about how this all evolved. Well, accidentally, I was just looking for a video to put on uh, my website about sunken German submarines, and I stumbled across uh, a link that said one was sunk off the coast of New Zealand. I was just flabbergasted because I never heard about that before. That was the U-196. So right, right. Allegedly, it was found in 1981, and uh, everyone was aghast. Like, you know, where did the crew go? What happened? And slowly it was pieced together that the crew was taken ashore and instantly assimilated into society and uh, allowed to ultimately get status in New Zealand. And they had a cargo, and that cargo involved nuclear technology and uh, the ability to process nuclear technology so the British could make their own bomb because they weren't getting much help from uh, the Americans 
with uh, their captured Operation Paperclip uh, Nazis. So everybody was competing for everything all at the same time, the French, the British, the Russians, and the Americans, and uh, because they had access to get at these bells, and pretty much uh, each one of these countries did. So near the end of the war, Germany surrendered on uh, May the 8th, 1945, and they sent the... Uh, the German army did, but the Nazis never did. They never did, and, uh, you know, I would argue today that uh, we can follow this right to the White House today. That's how uh, bizarre uh, this story can be. Wow. And well, w- w- let's. You mentioned the, the U-196, and and this was these were long-range U-boats, as you say. One was was sunk off the coast of New Zealand. Now, was there not another one sent uh, to New York Harbor uh, in something like May of 1945? And they also that was also carrying weapons-grade uranium. Uh, yes, it was. That was U-234. It was supposed to go to Japan, and then with the war closing in, that was one of the deals that got a lot of uh, really high-level Nazis off the hook, is you had to have something to trade for anonymity and freedom, and nuclear weapons is the ultimate one. And even, uh, you know, if you look back with 2020 hindsight to say who got off, if a, a, an evil power got a hold of these weapons and had mastery of them, or someone who would want to be an evil power, it's over. The, the world is, uh, is going to be completely changed, and uh, the highest levels of the Third Reich could sell that for their freedom, to say, you let me go, and we'll give you technology. So in other words, uh, Hitler's successor, um, this admiral, ordered all of these secret, sub- the secret submarine flotilla to sail to all these designated enemy ports. One was in, in New Zealand, one ended up being in New York Harbor, but you say that was en route to Japan. And in exchange for this nuclear material on board, Germany gained its sort of continued participation in any post-war nuclear weapons programs. Oh, very much so. The Americans were having a lot of trouble putting the, the nuclear bomb together. A lot of trouble. And when U-234 came in, it was just a matter of weeks before they started to, to really get it rolling. One, they had the uranium. Two, they had the triggers, the detonators to get the bomb going. And the head of security for the Manhattan Project just flipped when uh, he saw the treasure trove that came with the submarine, as well as technical advice. And uh, that's what really made the American nuclear bomb work. And uh, U-234 was one of the submarines. Uh, there was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Humphrey Bogart film, the Across the Pacific movie. That was just a, a classic bogey I movie. I haven't seen that one, no. There's a secret base that the Japanese are supposed to have around the Panama Canal and all the Nazis and fascist agents and such get around there. And, of course, Bogart goes in and cleans it out. But there was a real one, and it was in Indonesia. It was on a tea plantation, and it belonged to uh, two brothers, Emil and Theodore, Helfrich, and uh, Mr. Helfrich was the CEO of Hamburg America Line. He was also CEO of Esso, which was owned by Standard Oil at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who told Hindenburg that you've got to put Hitler in power. He was uh, also friends of, uh, they call it the friends of the friendship circle of Himmler. He was a member of that along with Haljmar Schack, the banker, and the people from uh, the... Abernabi, the people that went to Tibet and Antarctica, the far-off places to look for uh, secret technology and uh, 
to be able to get into the inner earth theory of the world and portals right, right. and such like that. What, what about this this base uh, that was uh, the submarine Nazi submarine base in uh, the Antarctic? Well, that's where it leads to ultimately. From Indonesia, Unit 196 sailed. It was written off because it didn't report in around December the 1st, 1944, and they just said it was lost at sea, but no one's ever discovered the wreck, or it was just because it didn't report in, it was written off. And ultimately, it sailed uh, into the waters of New Zealand. There's other reports as well that previously it was carrying gold. That's what the uh, Germans and Japanese would trade, science and technology for uh, gold because Germany was in a financial crisis not having any foreign currency reserves to buy things and support its country so these special submarines were designed they were the 9CD types larger they were cleaned out of weapons their their job was to just basically be an underwater freighter and carry the technology and the and the basically assets the gold assets around the world Right, all the Nazi plunder. I mean, and, uh, uh, priceless works of art and gold and silver and unimaginable wealth. So, so it, this was all stored somewhere in, an, in in the Antarctic. Is that the idea? Ultimately, that's where it went to. Uh, the 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 story of the Antarctic is just absolutely bizarre, and you're probably familiar with uh, Operation High Jump, where Admiral Byrd, after the war basically did an invasion of Antarctica coming from three directions with an aircraft carrier task force, allegedly just to go looking for, uh, you know, some sort of mapping expedition. But none of the vessels he was taking, there, there isn't much you could do with an American uh, combat submarine, some destroyers. They, re- they really aren't uh, exploration vehicles. And the storyline is, is that they invaded Antarctica looking for this Nazi redoubt and any advanced civilizations or technologies that may exist and i sent you a movie that was found in the uh in an antique store in germany something that just slipped through that wasn't ever uh accumulated or destroyed it was the german expedition to go to antarctica and it's just absolutely stunning to watch this movie it's a silent film and uh it it just details in in every little way what was found there after Hitler's death in the in the dying days of the Second World War, at least the Second World War in Europe, uh, Hitler's uh, appointed successor, this uh, admiral, ordered this flotilla of long-range subs that were were loaded with this nuclear technology to sail off to these designated um, uh, ports, uh, enemy ports, really, New Zealand, uh, New York, uh, perhaps uh, en route to Japan. What specifically then, we're talking about rep- weapons-grade uh, plutonium, I guess, here. So the takeaway here is is what? That the, 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 uh, the Germans were just very close, so uh, like a, within a hair's width of developing the bomb before the Americans. I believe so. I think they were, uh, you know, to the point, you know, you, you could be getting to uh, a matter of days. There might just been uh, some Germans on the inside realizing it would probably be better to give it to the Americans overall than uh, to let uh, the enemy side take it. What the Germans really did with this bell is the bell was a heavy particle accelerator. Yeah, we need to talk about the Nazi bell. And what it did is it create it uh, was a source for creating some artificial neutrons for an element called protactinium-233, and it was made from thorium-232. And when you 
use this bell, which is just two bells inside each other that spin at a very high rate of speed in opposite directions and create a vacuum inside, and mercury would be put inside with thorium gas. And this would, uh, you know, basically, without using a nuclear reactor, create a fissionable material that you could have, bomb-grade material, by using thorium and turning it into uranium. In 27 days, this... uh, New, new to me, but protactinium-233 would change into uranium-233. And uh, it was an electrical device, sort of using Tesla technology to pump in close to 5 million volts into this device with the, uh, you know, what's termed red mercury, this gas in between. And it's supposed to have very bizarre effects. It had a, uh, it was a ceramic bell, this bell, and it would glow like an ultraviolet color when it was in full operation. And, uh, you know, that just must be stunning to imagine. And it was made from ceramics. It had a beryllium mirror on it to reflect the neutrons back in so that, uh, I guess, you don't lose any energy out of it. And people said when you looked at this concave mirror that you would actually see, like, back in time that it was, uh, you know, such a, a bizarre encounter. Uh, these details did come out in the uh, Nuremberg trials. One of the head Gestapo generals who was in charge of this program uh, talked uh, quite a bit about this, and other German scientists were taped at a British university while they were you know, in quasi-custody working for them, that they had this ability to create fissionable materials without using nuclear reactors. And this has been shut up and, uh, and basically taken away from history. Another place one of these bells went was to Argentina. So uh, there was a liaison with the Chilean Navy, which is just so close to Argentina, where the, one of these submarines came ashore. And uh, it's, it's quite common knowledge. I think it was Dr. Richter, the man who invented the, uh, the, the Richter scale, who brought a bell into Argentina. It was used... And the Americans went after uh, Mr. Juan Perón viciously to try to get control of that technology and shut them down. And uh, Argentina was not in the good books through that period of time because these weapons were so powerful. The, uh, the whole concept even of red mercury, as I was doing research into that, is it has been patented by DuPont. They make a liquid explosive, HG2SB207, a military uh, code name uh, for the uh, for this explosive that's just it's almost as powerful as a nuclear weapon is that zero five twenty five well the uh, the zero five two five is the uh, material they put inside the two rotating spheres so there's a paraffin material there is a uh, plasma created from the mercury and the thorium vapors and uh, that whole uh, you know, piece is called the Xeron 525, and uh, that acts as a means of creating free neutrons to bombard the thorium-232 and turn it into this protactinium. So you, 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 you mentioned the, some of the strange effects that were produced by the, the Nazi bell. First of all, how, how many Nazi bells were in existence or are in existence? Do we know? The best I can come up with, uh, you know, from one of the best research articles I found, is they could uh, determine there were four, but uh, there very very well may have been more. The uh, Russians got one by working with a uh, 
another chap and on one of the other German scientists, and uh, they made their own. But uh, there were four altogether that, you know, one for the French, one for the Americans, one for the British. And, uh, you know, this is uh, using the uh, centrifuge method. The Americans weren't getting anywhere, and we can see in the modern era that the Iranians aren't really getting anywhere using the centrifuge either. And uh, this technology was so advanced, and it's still hush-hush up today. So this is like the, the shortcut of just making... Your, your fissionable materials to make your weapons, and that might it had to be used underground too, because it gave off a, a massive amount of X-ray radiation. Right. Yeah, yeah. there were a number of unnamed uh, uh, scientists, apparently Nazi scientists, who who died. Uh, yes. And, and um, according to, to Joseph Farrell and others, the Nazis ended up uh, a killing. 60 scientists, Nazi scientists that were associated with the program, and then they buried them in a mass grave just to keep, it sort of almost mirrors the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the death list of all these microbiologists going around the world. Correct. So, you know, Hitler was a sore loser to say the least. And, uh, you know, one of the important things about this base in Indonesia is there's a book out called Ratline Soviet Spies, Nazi Priests. And uh, this is probably one of the, you know, one of the books you read that your eyeballs pop out of your head because uh, he alleges ultimately that Hitler was transferred to Indonesia and lived in the vicinity of this base and uh, that he died there. And that's a very significant and very important piece of information. And I have quite a blog on my website about that because we all know there was a certain president who was documented to live in Indonesia and be possibly born in Indonesia, and there was a great deal of controversy about where he was born. And uh, his mother worked for USAID, and a doctor on a USAID ship called the SS Hope is the man who said that he saw Hitler in his old age in the early 1960s when he was working on that ship as a uh, charity doctor. And uh, let me get his name there, Dr. Sosto Husada. Well, that's interesting because recently declassified FBI files uh, seem to strongly uh, suggest that uh, Hitler did survive the Second World War and uh, perhaps uh, lived in in Argentina. Uh, But you're saying Indonesia. Maybe that's just a smokescreen. Well, that was a transshipment point. First it was Argentina and then ultimately in, uh, you know, the latter years, Indonesia. Now, let's get back to the Nazi bell for a moment and these strange effects. And you mentioned, you hinted that uh, when uh, people peered into the uh, into the Nazi bell, it, they almost, it's like they got a glimpse of the past. So what are we saying here, that the, this thing was capable of uh, producing a time travel effect? It's like opening a portal or a window. We can only speculate because, you know, we can't see this. We can only just listen to second-hand observations, but we're dealing with powers that are, are so great that you know almost anything is possible. And just to give you an example of how important Antarctica is as a base, like I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that uh, there was an expedition there in 2007 by someone who you probably know very, very well, not personally, but just by reputation, is, uh, you know, Mr. Paul Allen from Microsoft. Ah, yes. Now, he bought a hundred 
several hundred million dollar yacht and then automatically decided not to use it and built another one called the Octopus. And the Octopus is 416 feet long and its bottom comes open, just like you'd see in the James Bond film. And he's got a hundred, several hundred million dollar submarine that holds 10 people that comes out of the bottom. And he went on an expedition to Antarctica in 2007 with a private security force of former Navy SEALs for protection to, you know, who knows what. But you could rent your own ship probably very cheaply right. <laughs> compared to building the octopus. Is there still Nazi plunder or, or some, is there a Nazi bell in, in, this, in the Antarctic? I wouldn't be the slightest bit surprised that there was a base. They called it Base 211 in this film from 1938. And when you look at the pictures of this base, it is just mind-boggling that these were actual film footage of things they did there. Like they had tunnels going underground that looked like you could take the subway down. Right. And uh, so do these things still exist in present time? The conspiracy word that you're not afraid to use and the one I haven't been afraid to use is I take power from it because I, I use it as a joke when some global TV reporters were teasing me once, coming home a bit drunk, uh, you know, talking about uh, the conspiracy word. And I said, well, you know what the first conspiracy was, don't you? And they just, you know, looked at me and I said, the world is round. <laughs> that was the first conspiracy. And anyone who thought it was round was wacko and every the church and the state were pretty much telling you it's flat it has to be flat and when we get into advanced civilizations or maybe ancient civilizations if there's something under the antarctic ice and many people say they are the russians captured german top secret documents showing the inner earth in map form and access points and i have uh, a russian documentary on my website if you just Type in uh, in the search engine in the video section Antarctica. You'll see them all. I have you know Admiral the Hollow Byrd's Earth video, the Russian video. Well, you mentioned Admiral Byrd earlier, and and of course uh, Admiral Byrd, according to this uh, legendary journal, and some say that this is this story is, is is apocryphal that no such journal exists. But Byrd talks about catching a glimpse of an opening uh, as he flew over the South Pole, suddenly looking down and seeing this verdant. Landscape, almost tropical, uh, which he flew into, uh, you know, again, in the middle of where there should be nothing but ice and snow and saw a tropical fauna, flora and, and, uh, um, creatures, strange creatures and so forth. So. That's quite correct. And in the South American press at the time, he said there were flying saucers there. Well, I, I want to ask you this, and we're coming up on a break, George, but I, I want to talk about the connection between the Nazi bell and anti-gravity and Nazi flying saucers, Nazi UFOs. Would you be good for that? Sure. George Freund joins us from Conspiracy Cafe. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon-60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code 
EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60 Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. George Freund is with us talking about the Nazi bell, anti-gravitics, uh, secret uh, weaponry that the Nazis possessed. George, I'm wondering, what is the connection, do you suppose, between this Nazi bell technology that the Germans apparently were using to enrich uh, nuclear uh, material? What is the connection between the Nazi bell and, you know, these stories of... Uh, Foo Fighters that uh, Allied uh, pilots encountered uh, what we now call you know, flying saucers or UFOs. Back then they referred to them as Foo Fighters uh, because it, the timing is interesting. Um, you know, 1947, of course, just after the war, we have, uh, we have Roswell. Uh, and some contend, uh, there, are, there are those who suggest that what the, uh, Jim Mars, I believe, among them, that what the, uh, what was actually shot down near Corona, New Mexico, was not an extraterrestrial craft, it was a Nazi craft. But how do you tell the American people, the public, you know, that, that they're still engaged in a war against the Nazis when the war wrapped up two years ago? And then, of course, you have the Kenneth Arnold flying saucer uh, sightings in 1947. So is, what is the connection between the Nazi bell, Foo Fighters, UFOs? Well, if they did have a base there, and some of the reference material that's coming out now is there were uh, a, a people there who had Germanic appearance, spoke German, but seemed to be very, very far advanced technologically compared to the rest of us and that they were operating these craft. And uh, there was research in Germany with basically the typical disc shape of aircraft using something called the Coanda effect, where uh, you know hot vapor or air is pushed along the outside of the craft, goes underneath and gives it lift. We used to have a, an experimental craft here in Malton uh, in our own aircraft industry post-war playing with that. The, the craft would get up from the ground, but it was hardly anything that could travel like uh, Admiral Byrd said. He was quoted in the various South American press that this thing could go pole to pole in minutes and that he was concerned uh, of a potential attack on the United States. And uh, so he took this very, very seriously. And, uh, you know, he... There was also a component to say that there is an alien race as well that had this type of technology, but definitely a Germanic-speaking people. So if this bell did have a potential for something to do with time, could these Germanic, Earth-like-looking people have been someone from the future with uh, you know advanced technologies or something along that line? This, this story just gets weirder and weirder, doesn't it? Well, when we look at what happened back in the time, is Admiral Byrd, after his second operation, Operation Deep Freeze, died. And there's a lot of people who thought he was murdered. And, uh, you know, worse than, uh, than that is James Forrestal, the Secretary of Defense, was most definitely murdered. So 
So they wrote him off as a suicide. He was uh, said to be nuts because he started talking about what we're talking about. Well, they, they, they slipped him some LSD, I believe, and threw him out of a... They threw him out the window. He was in the presidential suite at Bethesda Naval Hospital. His family had uh, told him, uh, you know, what was uh, to try to get him out. He was on the eve of the day where a court order was to have him released. He was, of course, committed without his consent, and his uh, family got him out. And on that evening, uh, he was approached by, I guess, the big burly guys that uh, look after you in these places. And what I found from an old newspaper article was there were scratch marks on the windowsill. Well, if you're jumping out, you just jump. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no scratch marks. That's right. If so, somebody's throwing you out, there's going to be scratch marks. So the fact that he had the information about the top-end weapon systems and the ability of uh, you know whatever these uh, spacecraft are, and the fact that he was losing it and he wasn't going to keep it a secret anymore. His, his life was over. He was taken out. Yes, they right. named an aircraft carrier after him later, but uh, he's gone. You mentioned that you felt like a kid in the candy store, sort of uncovering this information, that it, it just seemed to be available online, and then it was almost as quickly taken down. What do you mean by that? Well, what happened to me was uh, when I first found these articles from a New Zealand newspaper about the U-196, you know, I saved everything. I stayed up late, copied it all, saved all the pictures and images, and then, you know, kept the links. And then when I went to open them the next day, they were gone. <laughs> and you know, I was just flabbergasted to say, well, hey, that was fast. But, uh, you know, they have been restored, it appears. But uh, when I went the next day, they were gone. Interesting. Now, let me throw something else at you. Uh, and that is, uh, the, we're, we're all familiar with the legend of the Philadelphia experiment and the, the USS Eldridge, uh, where some suggested that there was a bit of um, uh, time travel involved there, that some sort of uh, Tesla coil that was uh, uh, mounted on this uh, this naval, uh, it wasn't a destroyer, it was uh, it was. Um, uh, the kind of a, a ship that would accompany a, a naval destroyer, uh, but it was it suddenly sort of blipped in and out of uh, reality. Uh, do you think there's a connection there with the Nazi bell? Could there have been a Nazi bell on board the USS Eldridge? Well, what, as I understand it, they did is they put large copper coils around it and synthesized basically a, Tesla, a massive Tesla coil. There could have been a bell on the inside, but, you know, there, we can only speculate about that. And that's what caused this uh, this rupture in time and space to have it move. And, of course, they hide everything. One of the large UFO incidents that goes back to 1965 that fits the Bell scenario is the Kecksburg UFO incident. Uh, in Pennsylvania, yes. And uh, so they call it an acorn, but uh, it bears a great deal of significance to the, the shape and design of, of this Bell. And that's one of the other theories that comes out of uh, the Flat Earth Society is that these things were craft as well, that they, they could be, you know, with that type of power, uh, with these spinning things to be anti-gravity or, or something that can lift up and fly and move very quickly the way Admiral Byrd said, you know, that, that would be child's play to people who master this technology. Set. I just uh, recalled something, and I'll have to go back and verify this, but it seems to me that uh, the, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction uh, story, uh, and they were the sort of the first prominent uh, individuals to talk openly about an alien abduction, it seems to me either Betty or Barney mentioned uh, that while they were aboard this craft, they seem to recall seeing Nazis 
Does that ring a bell with you? No yeah. pun intended. That's a that's a common uh, a common statement from people who claim abduction that there were German speaking people or you know implied Nazis, and it just doesn't fit in with uh, you know the alien presence. But uh, that comes up over and over and over again that we have two very distinct. Uh, you know, types of people occupying craft like that. The typical alien, obviously alien type person, and then someone who looks just like us and speaks German, but is just remarkably advanced uh, technologically. Uh, this Nancy Bell again, the technology, uh, uh, you know, 70, 80 years old. Think of what they have now. I mean, when I say they, I don't even know who I mean. The Nazi International, the, whoever you want to call them, the, you know, the, the, uh, the elite, the oligarchs, the unelected oligarchs, the, uh, the Bilderbergs, whatever you want to call them. This break, they, as Richard Dolan says, they, they, they constitute a breakaway civilization, uh, because they have this technology at their disposal. But imagine the, the Nazi Bell plus 80 years. Yes. One of the big things the uh, ultra-rich are getting into for private yachts are submarines. So a company that makes these high-end submarines for them, and they're hundreds of millions of dollars, they're hardly toys. Uh, you know, back when I looked into the 2007 trip with Mr. Allen, they sold a hundred of them. Remarkable. Remarkable. So, you know, the billionaire yacht club is doing quite well. The, one of the patents for uh, this, this, what they call vortex tube and the patent of the Verbell Roar, uh, Bell was in 1935, and uh, you know Professor Max Steenbeck, Swiss scientist Dr. Walter Dallenbach, and uh, it was Steenbeck who worked with the Soviets to create their Bell, which was called Tokamak. And then in 1934, a Hungarian scientist Leo Slezard, he patented something very similar as well, because you're turning one element into another element by creating a, uh, a mercury plasma with thorium. It's alchemy at its worst. Uh, George, always a pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing. We really appreciate your work, and it's always a delight having you on the program. And uh, people, uh, again, the website, George? Uh, www.conspiracy-cafe.com, or just Google my name. I'm everywhere where it uh, comes up. Get more hits than the Prime Minister, and uh, I can sleep nights. Thank you so much, George. Always a pleasure. Be safe. Be God well. Bless God bless you. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 